This week, we have some movies coming out before the holiday break, but it's the last weekend in June and summer has officially kicked in. So we're going to hit the new releases this week. I'm Lynn Van House. I am Carl Middleman. After we meet our guest, we're going to talk about yesterday. Around minute 31, we'll talk about Annabelle Comes Home. Around minute 41, Fall of the American Empire. Being frank, around minute 51, minute 53, Dumbo on DVD. Around minute 57, 1776 at the Muni. Around one hour and 12 minutes, Grand Arts Center Theater Crawl. And next week, coming around one hour and 22 minutes, plus the Jimmies. And our guest this week is... I'm David Craig. Thank you for inviting me. You might remember David being on the radio for many years in the St. Louis area on both KZK and Clue. And and WIL. Yep. Oh, Oh. how long were you on the air here? Oh, gosh. I moved to St. Louis in 88, and I did my last radio show in early 2013. Wow. So... Wow. Been a while. Did some uh, PR work there in my latter years. That's right. And you, you were doing some restaurant work with the PR too, as yes, well. Yes, yes. I had some uh, had some great restaurant clients, and uh, yeah, you know, learned a little bit about the food biz. Are you a foodie? No, but I do like to eat, and <laughs> <laughs> they're um, no. I I just kind of learned a lot about. The, the way the uh, the restaurant business works and mm-hmm. kind of have a little bit more uh, empathy for restaurant owners, uh, servers, cooks, everybody. I mean, I've had family members who've worked in kitchens and in front of the house as well, but uh, just to kind of get the word and, and see a few things that you might not see just going in and dining a little bit of backstage stuff you know how it is yeah well you are a movie aficionado because we see you at screenings all the time and you used to do a blog and uh, you're quite a, a writer even though you made your living in radio you're a good writer well and i, I still post reviews on uh, it's just david craig movies.com nice. and uh you know i've posted recently on toy story 4 and are you gonna uh, are you gonna write something about yesterday? I yeah, I just posted something yesterday. So Wow. It's it's what a on coincidence. There. We're not gonna talk about Spider Man. We're gonna talk about Spider Man Far From Home next week because it comes out on a Tuesday. And we wouldn't have anything to talk about next week if we didn't hold it. And well, no. What else comes out next? Well, week? midsummer. Uh, midsummer. Oh, which, that uh, movie is so <laughs> bad. Right, I haven't. We'll seen talk it about yet. that next week. But coming out this week, we have we have Annabelle comes home, and we have yesterday. And we have two indies: Being Frank and The Fall of the American Empire. Did you watch that? Um, I did watch Fall of the American Empire. My password didn't work for Being Frank, so they sent me a new one this morning. So I will save that for next week. Okay. Well, then let's. Would shall we start with? Uh, let's start with yesterday, the Danny Boyle movie. All right. And I think it's kind of a back to the future type thing. No, it is a what if. I had to describe yeah. this to our friend J.C. Corcoran. He's like, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> In comic books, they have issues about what if. And if you have watched, I guess, uh, Amazon's Man in the High Castle, that is a what if. Quentin Tarantino does what ifs. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, the ending of that yep. is a what if. Yep. It is just you take the you take the weird premise. What if this happened either instead of or in place of? And so yesterday, the what if is what if no one in the world remembered the Beatles except you? And so it, this is 
And I think they should do more of these, more comic book type because they figured, you know what, comic book movies are very popular right now. What other genre of comic books are not being made into movies? The what if is not being made into movies. So um, this failing failing musician, uh, his name is... Jack Malik. Jack Malik. Well, that's his name in the film. The actor... Himish... Patel. Hamish Patel. Himish or Hamish? It's it's I. It's, oh. So it's Himish. Himish Patel is this Jack Malik who is a no one. And in fact, when he tries <laughs> when he tries to make his own songs, even after he's been successful, they say that one we don't like. So he was he was he's, he's not a has been. He was a never was. Mm-hmm. Well, last week we were on vacation. Mm-hmm. In Grand Lake, Colorado, on the west side of the Rocky Mountain National Park, we got into our motel, and I went out to get a six-pack of beer. And walking down the street to the liquor store, there were, at about 6.30 in the evening, there were maybe five or ten people inside this bar and grill, and a guy was playing, doing, singing Margaritaville mm-hmm. uh, using a keyboard and throwing in little... Uh, you know, silly comments along the way. And I kind of equate uh, Jack Malik <laughs> to this guy because, you know, we've seen him in He's the a corner. Busker. We've seen him in the corner in restaurants and bars mm-hmm. everywhere. And they're not necessarily bad, but they're not necessarily great. And you can kind of listen to them. And they usually have, as as does Jack. A group of friends. A group of friends who are there to support them. And, you know, they really liked his song called Summer Song. Play Summer Song. Yeah. So when he uh, he's coming home and the world has a global power shortage and he's hit by a bus. Yeah, which is it is actually a funny scene. But the Beatles aren't the only people to disappear, which I found hilarious. Well, yeah, it wasn't just the Beatles. It, well, I don't want to mention yeah, who they no, are. No, because it's too much fun finding out. But but it's and it's not just it's not it's things that are normal in life. Some things are like. But what if, I'm just saying, what if bottled water wasn't a thing? This is mm-hmm. not in the movie. I'm just making sure. this an example. It, and he's talk, so if he would talk about bottled water and everyone would look like him, like he was crazy. But there are major things in the movie that don't exist in this world, which make it a very funny film. Oh, I just thought it was so well done. And I think credit goes to Richard Curtis, mm-hmm. who had the story mm-hmm. and then did the screenplay. Because, but did not direct it. No, Danny, Danny Boyle directed it, and they're a good match. Because a lot of people team. thought that Richard Curtis would direct this. Right. Well, I I just think they have such a reverence and affection for the Beatles, and so uh, I was doing my KTRS movie review last night, and Ray was all about this, and Jay was like, I don't think their music would be as as accepted now and i said oh no music is the universal language and Mm. the beatles music what this movie does show is how timeless it is but it also has a great element in terms of in the current music business how would it fit and how would it be marketed and that that is true that was a lot of humor but richard curtis if you're not familiar with him he's responsible for some of the greatest romantic comedies of the last 20 years Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, and one of my personal underrated gems about time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also Notting Hill. And I read on his resume, he also did the uh, screenplay for the Spielberg movie, uh, War Horse, an adaptation of, uh, I guess it had been a a Broadway hit, Mm -hmm. and and a book, yeah, so so the guy's got quite the... uh, 
quite the resume. And I also didn't find out until about two or three years ago that uh, Love Actually is actually... A Christmas movie. Well, (laughs) that it's actually polarizing. I don't don't like it. That there are some people, like Carl, who don't like it. I thought it was incredibly cute. I did too. The only thing I didn't like about it was the uh, the hookup between the two people who were filming a porno at the beginning. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's a little crude and that's going to knock it out for and a lot of people. And also the language in Love, actually. Everyone said, oh, it's a, show your kids. It's a Christmas movie. It is not. It isn't a, an adult Oh, film. the Emma Thompson, Alan Rickbird. Alan Rickman. Just, uh, Rickman. I'm sorry, Rickbird. Where did that come from? Alan um, Oh, Rickman, makes it, it breaks your heart. Family guy cutaway. Alan. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, but no, it <laughs> breaks your heart. Oh, that breaks your heart. And so, yeah. And the president of the United States in Love Actually was Billy Bob Thornton. Can you imagine mm-hmm. somebody like Billy Bob Thornton being president of the United States? No, an actor. What? Oh, <laughs> but what? What's so funny here is the 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 guy is likable lily james who we fell in love with at, in the cinderella. live action cinderella and then baby driver the waitress oh, and she's then great in that. she is and then she's just a ray of sunshine in movies she is the early donna in the mamma mia sequel the only thing i have issues with in this movie ed is- sheeran no, Kate oh, McKinnon. Um, no, I actually that like them, great. but uh, I don't think the love story works as well as it. I just think that is kind of maybe too much. That's fine. It's, it's obvious every time they get going about the moral dilemma of him taking the Beatles music, then we have to go to the romance. Like the the two people are obviously made for each other, but they're ignoring it all till. Until they figure it out. Well, that's not that's not the problem that I have with okay, this film. What's the problem? And David, being in music radio for a long time, you might agree or disagree with me on this. The you do not release Hey Jude next to She Loves You. <laughs> the thing Beatles were only around for eight years. Right. And in their eight years they had a progression. You had the early days of the nineteen sixty two and them starting in Liverpool and in the Cavern Club. They even talk about the Cavern Club and they go to Germany and then the the early beginnings. The She Loves You versus the Long and Winding Road, there is there's an arc. There's a story there. There's the way that Paul and John and George and Ringo that they progressed from being those lads doing cover songs songs from the music man in the early ones and then doing experimental music and then he there's a scene where he is writing down every single song that he knows and jack's like oh and, and somebody mentions with a little help from your friends but then he remembers revolution number nine if any song didn't need to be made from the beatles pull that one out but the progression from you can't release she loves you and let it be concurrently you're right there it doesn't make sense i I would agree that the selection of the songs seemed a little bit random because he was remembering them because he didn't there was nothing written down i understand that but you could still era one era two era three well not so much jack but you know the people who who put the movie together the, the the song seemed a little random and but you know i think that's one of the things that you have to be willing to overlook and i think if you're like me a general I'm a bit of a liberal, a literalist mm-hmm. when I'm watching something like that. 
I can see some people watching this movie and not being able to buy into the fantasy immediately and saying, oh, well, this and, you know, there there's a plot hole here. And well, I can't even buy this. And, there is but a, you, ha- you have to buy into it to enjoy the movie. Do, well, there's a huge one. Well, there's well, like when he looks up. Oh, so there's no Oasis. And because Oasis are basically the Beatles as brothers rather than friends. And, but also does that mean that Smokey Robinson, the miracles you really got a hold of me? Was that a hit? Was Motown a hit? Because the Rolling Stones still exist in this world. Right. But so you have to kind of, you, there are things that don't make sense, right. but all time travel movies make my head hurt. But this isn't a time always... travel movie. This is an erasing of time. You're right. But I mean, the ones that the, the sci-fi science uh, fantasy aspect always if you start thinking too literally about it then it does make your well, head hurt but that's what that's why i want to hold your hand coming out the same day as day tripper doesn't make any sense i know i know and and i as one who saw them on ed sullivan and followed their career i even had beatles songs at my wedding mm-hmm. so did jim tudor he said so everybody I mean, what was it in my life of course but oh, but no we had a little that's what everybody needs. yeah that's what everybody has but we had actually a little sing-along before mm-hmm. and because you know catholic churches are real strict about music right so we had some of our friends with guitars sit in the choir loft and play like a half hour beatles music before mm-hmm. the thing started i, I understand so, that and the beatles yeah. are loved and that's why this movie is going to be very polarizing yeah, but I do think it's a crowd pleaser. I was shocked at the lukewarm critical reaction to well, it. People don't like the love story, and they don't like the way it ends. The way it ends, it's like they have this great premise, and they realize, oh, wait, we have to do something. This movie mm-hmm. has to end some mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. And, and there's only one way it can end, but getting there is the weird part. Yeah. And so what, what happens when he remembers another song? What happens when he rem- when he's walking down the street one day and goes, oh, you, you know what? We didn't do, uh, let's say, when I'm 64. What if they what if they realize, you know what? I didn't do that. I didn't remake that one. And he, I don't want to say, but there he has a support system in his world, and they could. The Beatles only wrote like 164 songs or 264 songs. I'm not sure exactly how many, but they were. Honestly, they have 15 albums. They were prolific. They, yes. Yes. And especially, well, like Carl said, the early days, they did use other people's music. They were mm-hmm. heavily influenced by Buddy Holly, and they were heavily influenced Motown. by soul singers, Primo Town, uh, Benny King, Stand By Me. Um, they did Twist and Shout. Yeah, they don't, yeah. they don't even do any of, I would be, I, in this what if, I wanted to see what, if he would have done Imagine or if he would have did Listen to What the Man Said or if he did Photograph or any of the Beatles solo stuff or My Sweet Lord. Maybe I'm amazed. Well, he, we don't get into that. It's, yeah. it's just the Beatles. Right. And uh, But I do think that as a, uh, as a comedy fantasy to bring up the Beatles music reminds you of how timeless it is mm-hmm. and how joyous it to me it's a very joyous uplifting movie the crowd seemed to really like it there's one scene that we're not going to spoil no that everybody literally gasped in yes they did and and that was fun watching it with the crowd um, that's another thing you start <sighs> thinking that and then that'll just really really trippy you know, really trippy. But yeah, it was like he played the Beatles 
as himself, but did not go through any of those. Um, the the they didn't go to he didn't go to the Maharishi right and, he and, didn't go through that progression that they did to right. come up with their music. It's 125 songs, by the way. Oh, there there are only 125 Beatles songs, and but but then they said you look you know my name look up the number does that count as a Beatles song? <laughs> but. On the 15 albums, the 13 albums, and then the two past masters, those are the official Beatles catalogs. Okay. And so about 125 songs. And I think they only mention or even show uh, 75. And and they only play about, let's say, 15 or 20 of them, even in pieces in the film. And so there's so... It's not even a full Beatles catalog, but mm-hmm. that's that that's not my beef. My beef is putting the early stuff with the late stuff and even the middle stuff. I I just don't. Th- it doesn't work that way. Well, you Dan- don't you don't see the genius. D- Danny Boyle and and Richard Curtis are both old enough to to have been around. Yeah. You know, while the Beatles music was along, and you know, if it were somebody who was say born in 1990, mm-hmm. who might put all of the Beatles music together in one big chunk and just you know lift a few out you you, it could be forgiven but again i would say they know better (laughs) i would say to somebody going to see this movie just suspend all of your all all of your criticism of uh well that shouldn't have happened or this shouldn't have happened and why do they do just kind of take it for what it is and uh, and and have fun. It's it's a light fun movie. I it don't is. think it'll be on anybody's top ten list for no. the year. It's not a must see, but it's one that it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I saw Pirate Radio a couple weeks ago again. Uh, HBO was playing. That was it, a Curtis script, and that was a, rec- a, a directed and written. And that is another music about the you know rogue DJs mm-hmm. in the sixties, and they play a great catalog. But the the credits. Of that movie are all the greatest album covers of all time <laughs> and that is just so fun so you know those guys love music i just wonder if that last shot during the credits when it's guys going crazy about the beatles not just girls mm-hmm. at ed sullivan um you know it's a picture and you don't know where it's from right but i just wonder if it was one of those guys that was in that picture that they showed the young oh, guys possibly if it was you them. know so so anyway but you know obviously because i think they're around my age they grew up where all of a sudden the Beatles did had the big bang in music and everybody started wearing their hair and the Beatles and, and you anticipated every song and you listened to the radio to hear the songs mm-hmm. and, and all that. But modern, modern, uh, I think it was good for Ed Sheeran to set oh, he up was, himself. He's great in it. He is. Playing an asshole version of himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that took guts. You know, that did take guts. And then, you know, because the guy opens Especially when he gets shown up, oh, and he realizes it, he's like, all right, let's go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was good because he realizes that, oh, my God, my opening act is better than I am. And a lot of bands probably realize that. Ed Sheeran, Ed Sheeran is to me a pretty likable yeah. sort of guy, and he's about to have a an enormous album. You know, he's putting out three cuts out with uh, these various. Well, he did. He's doing another count. This is his sixth version of that. It's uh, well, he's put out. He's compilation. Put out a, he's put yeah. He's put out one with uh, Justin is Bieber it called DJ Khalid. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. DJ Khalid. Uh, he's done done a cut with Bieber, DJ and Khaled. he did another one with uh, Chance the Rapper. And right. there are several more to come. So it's when the whole thing comes, it'll be well. Huge. He's he's been doing this for a while. Doing yeah. the, they're called the uh, compilations, and this is like number six. And then he's also doing the plus minus divide and 
multiply. And so he's got this series of albums, and he's doing very well for himself. Yeah. He He sold out Bush Stadium, and it was him. Yes. (laughs) No, it was him in a sequencer. He played. I'm sorry. He, no, no, he played. Ahead. He played an acoustic or an electric guitar all night until Shape of You, and then he played the rest of the parts on foot pedals. He sold out Bush Stadium by himself. That's amazing. And that was at a time uh, both he and you two had it rescheduled, canceled, yes, because that was the verdict weekend. And Ed Sheeran said more than you two did. Yes, because you two said nothing. And well, they they um, they had some things on their Instagram, I yeah, think. Yeah, they did. But, but what I was going to say about Ed, he was in the movie, the last Bridget Jones movie, as himself. Oh. Yeah, he showed up. So he's game to doing... To play up uh, himself. Yeah, to, to play up himself, to cross over himself. I forget what, what outdoor concert they were at, but that was thing. It's nice to see the little Beatle uh, touchstones. They go to Liverpool. They go through the Mersey Tunnel. They go to Penny Lane. And Penny Lane and, and the, the Eleanor Rigby part. And mm-hmm. so that's fun. The songs, the performances, I listened to the soundtrack on Spotify this morning. And the performances are not, Jack is not a killer singer. But no. of course, the charm the here is that he's a songwriter. I mean, anybody uh, who couldn't sing, you know, if they sit down and you hear in my life for the first time ever you're gonna say wow 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 uh but i went back and also an- another movie that had a lot of beatles songs was um across the universe the one with, uh, well i'm thinking of the one with uh sean penn i am oh, sam, I am I am sam. sam. which now, i have that soundtrack and and i listened to a few of those cuts and they were good but i can't remember in the movie did the songs get that much airtime, or did they do like movies do where they play you know, 30, 40 seconds and then fade them out. I well, can't I remember that, the actual I movie. I think they actually played the songs because that's how the father and son were connecting, right? Right. And uh, uh, I Am Sam, Michael Penn, Sean's brother, mm-hmm. who's the musician married to Amy, Amy Mann, Mann. Okay. they did the music and they did that. And their, two of us, their version of The Two of Us mm-hmm. is fabulous. And you know why Sean Penn didn't win the Oscar? I know. It's the the it's the Tropic Thunder excuse. Yes, and I went I went <laughs> because he was not mentally challenged. Yeah, okay, we're not allowed to use that politically incorrect term. Okay. I know, but he went. But, yes, yeah, but uh, but the the soundtrack to I Am Sam is really good. I would say avoid like the plague across, across the, universe. the universe because it was a waste of time. And well, and I looked up and found an album that we got. At WIL Radio back in the mid-90s, which was... The country versions of all the Beatles songs? Yes. Did you ever see that? No, I did not, but I I heard about it. It was an album called Come Together, and we played a couple of cuts on the air just as a curiosity. Um, Nowhere Man by Randy Travis. Not bad. Okay. Well, didn't they also do... Then they also did the stuff with Billy Joel stuff, too. That was the Honeymoon in Vegas soundtrack. I I missed... That was Elvis stuff, yeah. uh, That's right. Uh, Billy Joel did Elvis stuff. That's what it was. And Country Guys did Elvis stuff, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Back back in the 90s, all these country guys were doing rock songs and turning them into... And then Garth Brooks did the same thing for Kiss. It it was just... They were all just cross-pollinating at the time. Now, who, did, who did the work? Oh, go ahead. No, I have a question for David, but ask your question. Um, who did the working class hero? Because remember when Kevin Kevin Spacey sang uh, that was that was at he did um, 
jealous guy and there was a, that was uh, on like TBS or TNT it was uh, I think it was for charity but it was the music of John Lennon that, mm-hmm. that okay was, that, that was a, that was a TV special okay um, my question for David was when you listen to the soundtrack on Spotify was it just Jack or was it Jack and the full band um, both both yeah okay because in the, in the rooftop scene he has a full band but you've never seen him working with a full band in anything because you (laughs) that's another thing and they they take they want you to take for granted oh there he's just releasing Beatles songs but you don't see any of the process you see them in a recording studio but you just see him you don't see him working with any other artists so when he shows up on the thing on the top of the hotel with a band where'd these guys come from oh my goodness and that's 50 years old yes the the rooftop rooftop in San Francisco um or was it on in London, Abbey, Abbey, Abbey Road Studios? Okay, um, it was uh, the Get Back, the famous right. one. Mm-hmm. That's that just had their fiftieth. And I'll mention one other thought. And again, this is I think kind of a male female <laughs> thing. Where I'm at the beginning of of the movie yesterday, mm-hmm. I am more about his bringing these songs to life that he remembers and nobody else does and less about the romantic phase of it. And I'm thinking, okay, she's a big fan. She's an old friend. She's his manager. She's his biggest she's supporter. She's been in love with him since. But I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get that. Now, if if my wife had been with me, you know, she's a big Hallmark movie fan. Ugh. She would have they nailed on that immediately. They started their Christmas crap today. Huh? They started their Christmas crap today. Oh, yes, of course. Two uh, weeks. And, and, you, and you guys probably, you know, caught that immediately. But me, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a it's going to be a, a thing story. between the two of them. Yeah, but he it's so weird because he's obviously in love with her, and then she turns around. I've been in love with you ever since sixth grade. You somebody would have picked up on that. Yeah, I know. Though they are really uh, the uh, the the uh, yeah the blindness there is just. But it's fun to it's see the, the the nowadays music industry because Kate McKinnon as a shark of an agent. Mm-hmm. I thought she was hilarious when she said, "And then we will take most of your money." <laughs> she was honest. You are thin yet round at the same time. <laughs> well, her delivery is just wonderful. Her I performance think. was a little over the top, but I think I think really that's it's actual, the way to play that true. that role. Yeah, and it was it was a, a, a good uh, she played she offered great comic relief. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then when they're especially trying, when they're trying to be funny and they're not being very funny. <laughs> no, when they were trying to figure out the album cover for his CD mm-hmm. and and they're going through all the you know, well we took some of your suggestions Rubber but this soul. Yeah, and this this Abbey Road is just a road, but and it just is funny to people who mm-hmm. know how iconic those album covers are. Now, do you all think that this is a movie for older people? who don't go to movies and maybe go, you know, once a year, once a decade um, <laughs> or, or, or once a year, because there are a lot of people uh, over the age of 50, over the age of 60, over the age of 70 who go to movies and it's like, uh, I don't want to go. It's, There's not it's, a lot of sex or drugs going on in this movie. So this would be one that I could take my grandmother to. Yes. It's PG-13. There's no, you know, the, the, the sex There's is low-key. There's one, one F-bomb that they're allowed. And I also think that this is, as I always say to Lynn, movies for per- people of a certain age, mm-hmm. this would qualify as that. But my daughter loved it. And she said, 
she the 15 year old said oh i love beatles music my children grew up with beatles music and uh they they have beatles albums and are now i guess they would have it on streaming right it's on it's on their phone yes and uh you know charlie saw paul mccartney at yankee stadium and so of course they're gonna love it i i texted him right away and said you need to see this because anybody who's a music fan you have to know who the beatles are of course Mm -hmm. and and so so why not and then i think our age um boomers they have such a great uh shared cultural experience yeah but they might that might turn them off to this you think and i'm gen Mm -hmm. x and they they don't care about well, <laughs> well, but but you know, like if you go to Central Park and you go to Imagine, ugh, and, and I yelled at a guy. He was playing, uh, he was playing a Paul song. He, we were at Strawberry Fields, and he's sitting in the Imagine, and he had just played Imagine. He's like, "All right, I got another one for you." And then he played a Paul song, and I'm like, "Dude, <laughs> come on!" Well, one of the times I was there, uh, it was uh, Linda McCartney's birthday, and As, and they celebrated they, at Strawberry they, Fields. Yeah, well, it's imagine. It's you know, it's That's like a John one, thing. So I know it's a John thing, but also um, the hotel is right across the street. I know, I know, the Dakota is mm-hmm. right there. So uh, my sisters were with me, and uh, so some guys strumming guitar, and they go, uh, "Lynn, uh, we need to get going. You don't need to be at one with the other fellow Beatlemaniacs. You know, like you're not going to just sit I, here and join in and sing. I've been to Strawberry Fields at the Imagine Circle many times. It's very hippie. Well, yeah, it is. There have been many people who have uh, confused John songs and Paul songs. John Lennon used to be a big talk show guest. Yeah, he was he on and Dick Cavett. He and Merv Griffin were thick, and mm-hmm. and Cavett, and apparently D- Mike Douglas. He was on with Yoko. A- mm-hmm. Apparently, the first time uh, that he was on Dick Cavett's show, every bumper song they played into and out of breaks was or a Paul, Paul song. song. And he you know he acknowledged was... it, but he he chuckled. It was he still got paid for it. <laughs> yeah, because Lennon McCartney. Lennon McCartney. Yeah. Now yeah. that was just like when Frank Sinatra said uh, his favorite love song of all time was something. And uh, those uh, Lennon McCartney were great. And then Paul said, uh, "That was George." Sorry, <laughs> I know they. Uh, he got said, "I'll roll. take the compliment." Sure, but that was really George. So it just it just depends what side you know. People come in with their own experiences when they watch movies. So it's just going to see does it evoke uh, nostalgia, sentimental journey, or do you just like it because it's a it's a sweet little movie? There's a little about there. It's a sweet little movie. If you overthink it, you will hate it. Right. I think, <laughs> and I, I said in my review, turns out what we need right now is a Beatles song. All you need is love. Yeah, you know, because right now everything's so fractious and, you know, just really crazy. And so the Beatles songs just bring a lot of joy All to right. people. Okay. Well, so now let's we'll move on to a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Annabelle Comes Home about that creepy doll. Has that's, anyone uh, seen... All of the Conjuring Universe movies, besides me. No, I have not. I have just seen the Conjuring ones. And the con- so you saw the Conjuring and the Conjuring Two. Mm-hmm. Conjuring Two is the better of the two, I believe. David, have you seen any of them? None. Nope. Nope. Are you not? I a horror abstain. Film? Are you? <laughs> are you not a horror film guy? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I like. I, I enjoyed the uh, the Jordan Peele movies, mm-hmm. which I don't call I don't think of them as hardcore horror, but no. um, thriller horror. 
Yeah, th- those and kind of movies. commentary. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the Conjuring films. Uh, the first one scared the bejesus out of me. There's because only one was... scene that's the... the... Oh, with yeah, Lily but, Taylor, that's the but, only um, one that that's the only scene that's actually scary. But just the just the just the whole premise and the omin the ominous way they shot it and the house and the weird things going on. But that doll in the beginning, I will say, is incredibly creepy, and that kicks off the whole thing. But these are what what I found creepy is to me. Horror movies, for the most part, are pretty ridiculous. They're funny because they're not real, right? But when you're but dealing this with is based in reality, yeah. When you're dealing with satanic possession, because and maybe it's because I saw The Exorcist. It's such an impressionable age. The satanic stuff scares me like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that these people were, um, what did they call the Warrens? What were they? They were. They were de- they were spiritual detectives. Okay, because those people were supernatural real. spiritual detectives. Right. That's it. Because and we all know the exorcist really happened in St. Louis at St. And, Louis University. And and because the uh, the, the the Warrens are real people, I think uh, the Conjuring has an element to it that other horror movies that makes don't it a little have. more scary. Yes. All right. So here is the timeline of what has been going on. Uh, Annabelle comes home is actually the third Annabelle film, but it takes place after The Conjuring. And it's between The Conjuring and The Conjuring 2. Oh. So because one of, the first, one of the first scenes in Annabelle Comes Home is a scene from The Conjuring where they first get the doll. So it, the timeline is so weird. Uh, it started with The Conjuring, then it was Annabelle, because Annabelle was... And Annabelle of the seven movies is the worst even though watching Annabelle Creation and Annabelle Comes Home, that actually makes Annabelle better. But the seeing them in order of release is not necessarily a good thing. Okay, so it goes. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I, here's a question, and, and I and I think it doesn't relate. It relates to this, but with so many sequels coming mm-hmm. out, if I went in to see this new Annabelle movie, no. Can I just walk in and see it without having context? Yes. You can, can I enjoy it? I don't know if you would enjoy it as much as okay. you would without seeing at least The Conjuring or Annabelle Creation. Annabelle Creation is really good. It's the so best I'm do of the my movies. homework before I go see this. Well, The Nun is actually the first <laughs> one in the timeline, even though that only came out like last year. So The Nun takes place first, and then Annabelle Creation, and then Annabelle, and then The Conjuring, then Annabelle comes home, then... This year's uh, The Curse of La Llorona, and then Conjuring 2, and then they're making Conjuring 3 and another nun movie. And so what they've done is by putting these movies sort of in a jumbled timeline, it fills in gaps for Mm -hmm. things. Like one line in The Conjuring could have something that took place 50 years ago that they mentioned in The Nun. and. It's they're filling in stuff, which is why Annabelle by itself from 2014 was so bad. But when they made a prequel to it, which everyone thought it was a sequel, it was a prequel. It (laughs) made the movie after it so much better because it was such a good film and it answered so many questions and they all lead into it. And I would like to think that James Wan had something to do with all this, even though he only directed the first two conjurings and, uh, the guy that's been responsible for writing all this is uh, Gary Dauberman. He's been in charge of writing most of the non-conjuring movies, and he's done great. 
Um, he also did It and It Chapter Two that's coming Ooh. out. So, oh, which so if you are a fan, funny. you will like. It's the same thing. He's doing great in the horror film, and he did Creation, but he also he also did Annabelle. <laughs> so, he, but he directed this one. He directed this one. This this is his first time directing any of these in this series. Was well, James Wan a producer? James Wan is a producer. James Wan is not even going to direct the third Conjuring movie. It's going to be uh, Michael Chavez, and so. I don't know what James Wan actually has to do with any of these movies anymore because I would like to think that he's part of it still, but I don't know. Um, Annabelle Comes Home is a teen movie. It's rated R because children are in peril, and La Llorona was rated R because there's death. I will say in this movie, Annabelle Comes Home, Oh, wow. And I don't, I don't know if I just ruined it for you, but you know these children are in peril because Annabelle really doesn't do anything herself. Annabelle is a conduit, and all of these bad things happen around Annabelle. And so the Warren's daughter – oh, yeah, that's another thing about <laughs> – they're promoting this that uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are in this movie. They are in this movie at the very beginning – and at the very end. I was going to ask about that. The Warrens go off on a trip and they have the babysitter to watch their daughter. The daughter's been in the other movies too, but this is a younger actress because this is, uh, she's playing younger. And so they have a babysitter to watch for them overnight. Don't they have a room with all this stuff that they've That's where Annabelle is. And one of the babysitter's friend just lost her father. And so she needs... She's oh, there's a supernatural room in there. Oh, and then somehow magically she finds the keys and can get in there. And so she's trying to get her dead. Just he, she wants contact with her dead dad because she's a high school girl and she's heard about the Warrens. Never and, and no one hangs out with the Warrens' daughter because uh, she's well, the family's creepy. And so there's a whole thing of and then there's boys and then. The boyfriend of the babysitter wants to come over, but he never even makes it in the house because he's being trapped outside by a werewolf, which actually leads into Conjuring 3 because Conjuring 3 is going to be all about American werewolf in London. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I'm I'm sold. <laughs> so I know I've told you a lot. of there, There's seven movies up there, and they're all interconnected, and they all make each other better. This is bloodless horror, and I, I, I think I might go back and actually bleep out the fact that I said because if you go into a horror movie, they go out and bleep that because. Yeah, maybe too much. It, maybe it might be, it might be too much. It, it's spoilery, but it's bloodless horror, but there are teens in peril, and that's what makes it radar. And there's not even a lot of cursing because it's girls. There are three <laughs> girls in the house. They're, if it was dudes, they're like, ah, they'd be cursing. But it, the three teenage girls are not doing the cursing. But, uh, so uh, you recommend it. Uh, if you're a fan of this universe, yes, I recommend it. It's better than Annabelle. It's not as good as Conjuring 2 or Annabelle Creation, but it does fill in a lot of the gaps. If you're a fan of this series and you want to know more, excuse me, but the thing is they are make they are churning these out over and over and over. This is even a Blumhouse thing. This is this is their own thing and they're just making them uh, Warner Brothers has a nice little cash cow in this and someone said oh well maybe they should 
add this to the DC universe and, <laughs> and then make it more interesting. Well, it's like interconnected, just like the DC universe, or the DC and the Marvel ones are all interwoven. So that's good to know about if the you're country. a fan. If you're Be- a fan, because I honestly checked out after the. The Conjury 1 and 2 were so good, and they brought Annabelle in, and I thought, oh, I just think this the is The first Annabelle idea. movie is not good. So then I I'd actually have you watch, out of order, I'd have you watch Annabelle Creation, and that leads right into Annabelle. Annabelle Creation makes Annabelle a better movie. Are these on Netflix, these older ones, or are they on uh, one of the pay cable They were on, I watched, the funny thing was, because I hadn't watched all seven of them, so I watched The Nun on Sci-Fi, mm-hmm. and I watched Annabelle on, it was either HBO or Stars. Okay. So they are available out there, and you won't, if you already have the streaming services or if you have something, you will be able to get them. And then Annabelle Comes Home is out in theaters now. Uh-huh. So uh, it opened wide uh, today, uh, Wednesday. Yes. So it's already... It's, it's, because of the, it's because of the 4th of July being on a Thursday, why everything is coming up so weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, there's the, uh, the indie movie of the week would be The Fall of the American Empire, and it is French-Canadian. It is Canadian. It is actually a s- semi-sequel to his Oscar-winning movie what was it the border the, the barbarian invasions 2003 his he, his who he is Dennis Denis I, Denis okay because uh, yeah because he's French Canadian Arcand uh, A-R-C-A-N-D Arcand because the Arcand. D would be silent yeah that's right because it doesn't I'm... end in the words the letters careful if the French only pronounce C-R-F and L at the end of a word everything else is taken off well, not my Thank high you, school. Mr. Hernandez. It, yeah, I was uh, going to say my high school uh, French teacher would be so upset with me for screwing that up. But uh, he, but he's he, he's been using these characters for a long time. This is, I want to say, the third or fourth movie that he's done. He's got one called The Decline of the American Empire. And so. that leads, that led into the Oscar-winning one. And only, one, I think, uh, one of the nuns from one of the previous ones, he, Jesus of Montreal was his movie also. And... There's a character in all of that, too, that is in all of it. He, he has his own universe as well. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised because I did not see any of the other ones. Oh, so you're coming I in know. on movie five. It's a standalone, I think. I think you can you can come in and, and not know what's going on. I will say uh, it is billed as a comedy slash crime film. So that's an odd mix. It's also... It's, a story we've seen before, right? A guy finds money and then he doesn't know what to do with it. Right. But they have goofy characters. And the guy guy's dorky. It's hilarious. So there's there's elements of stories we've seen before. And I don't think it all works. But I enjoyed following the story. There is some gruesome parts to it that probably don't. Yeah, don't the, doesn't the money belong to the mob? Yeah, it's it's called, oh, I forget, West End Gang or something. So these, But it's in French because it takes place in Quebec, right? Right. And this guy, he has a PhD in philosophy. Okay. <laughs> and he finds his money. <laughs> and he is a, like a UPS delivery guy. It, it's what, whatever Canadian firm that is. And he is just, and he's pretty dorky. 
and he's always railing about society, but he gives money to the homeless cause. And this director has got a very social justice bent to all his work. Mm-hmm. So they're showing the homeless and they're showing the Inuit tribe mm. problems, the homeless people. So there's these gangsters and uh, two guys are going to hit them up. So they go to where they uh, money, they hold the, the money. It's not, it's, it's weird. It's like a it's like a store, but it's a front. So mm. they're stuffing all the Canadian money in these bags, and some dude shows up, and they get into a gunfight, and uh, two are dead. One escapes, but the bags of money are just laying there next to a dead guy, mm-hmm. and the delivery driver looks and sees nobody around, so he puts them in his delivery truck. Are there cameras? See, the police, this is on the outside, and okay. I think it was a front, so they don't really have... So the money's disappeared. Yeah, the money's disappeared. And the mafia wants to know where it is, and the cops want to know where it yeah, is. Yeah, and the cops show up, and they're everything. So the doofus guy, he's so trusting, He engage, and he just broke up with a girl, and so he hires the most expensive prostitute in Canada <laughs> who is beautiful, and apparently... You know, so, uh, so, 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 so we she's have a this, high class. Yeah, escort. she's, she's a high class escort. One of those Elliot Spitzer types. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she has a uh, chauffeur bring her to the, to the assignment. Mm-hmm. She, she, he contracted her through an escort service. So then the police show up at his house and say, Hey, she's the most expensive. Basically, she's the most expensive hooker in time. Yeah. Like, what is your deal? Where are you getting this money? And he put the money in a storage thing. He finds out on the news that there's this money launderer that gets out of prison. So he contacts the money launderer about helping him. And he's like, this money is so hot. You can't buy anything. You can't buy a car. You can't do anything to show that you have money. And he goes, well, I hired this escort. And the guy's like, oh, you are such a doofus <laughs> and says choice words, which I can't mm-hmm. say here, but they're and, in French. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's just becomes this complicated thing where the mob and the criminals and the police, and then this guy's just trying to be happy, but it veers into weirdness with this escort. It's like a pretty woman type story in terms of like, you know, but the, she thinks he has money. Yeah. 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 That's true. But he makes her laugh he, she knows he's totally dorky, but like they walk around one night, and I'm thinking that meter You've is paid ticking. For sex. Yeah, that meter is ticking. <laughs> Where's the sex? You know, and and what are you doing? And so she's, I guess she feels, I don't know her motivations, and I don't know she's why a hooker. she would. But so it's it gets into this whole jumble thing, and in the end, they have to wrap it up with social justice. So is there, <laughs> is there the the movie is set in Quebec? Is there any? Uh, Poutine in the movie because my wife and I are planning on taking a trip there and every video we've looked at from Montreal and Quebec City it's all about fries Poutine you know which is the fries and gravy and it looks curds. horrible but everybody takes it. It's like, God, this is delicious. Okay, that's that's my yeah, that's my no, uh, French Canadian yeah. reference. I know they're not, but I will say Montreal looks very beautiful in this movie, and it makes me want to like. Ooh, I went to Montreal in April, not this April, but I went to Montreal in April, and it is very cold in Montreal. It snows. There were more people. This is when they still had the expos 
more people were caring about the uh, Canadians playing hockey than were caring about the Expos playing baseball, which is why they're not there anymore. Uh, but Although they may get the raise for half a season, yes, that, that's the dumbest thing going yes, on is. in baseball. It's so dumb. What? Yeah, oh. the Rays would play half because no one's going to no one's going to Florida baseball at all. Uh, I believe that both the Rays and the Marlins had a combined uh, attendance of twelve thousand combined yeah. one oh. night. There's too oh, much that, stuff to do down there, really. right? And well, yeah, would, and with the retirement, you would think though that the retired folks would go out at especially at least when the to Rays were doing well. But the last their, year. their stadium apparently is a tomb. I've never right. been there. I've seen it on TV. I, I know people that worked there and uh, work in Tampa, and they say it is very unfortunate yes. because the, they have a good team and they have a good crew, but it's they can't get anybody to go. And it's also – it's kind of like St. Louis, but not like that. You know how some people won't cross the 270 corridor? Either way, it's like that in Tampa. Oh, you're on the other side of the bay? Uh, we're not going to go – we're not well, sorry go. for digressing there. No, the, no, the, no, right. no we, but, but the baseball saying, reference. But, but I'm saying that Montreal in in the cold months is an underground city. It's kind of like uh, Winnipeg is that way too. Uh, but it's all connected. Like there are malls underground, so you don't have to go outside. And so, so do they show them going outside? Way, yeah. yeah, Minneapolis, St. Paul. That well, not not Minneapolis, not St. Paul. St. Paul's more. Well, outside. she wears very summery frocks. So they're walking around like it said, but but he he's just so he's just a dork in like an Oxford shirt that's hanging out in khakis, and he's wooing this. What's wrong with that? I know. I'm just saying the standard white guy outfit, you Mm -hmm. know, and he's got glasses and he's got this PhD in philosophy. And the reason he picked her on tinder or whatever <laughs> on on the site is because she used to quote from socrates and some kind of uh name from one of the philosophy oh she guys. must she she gets me and so he's just hilarious because you know he's he's sitting there in the beginning and he said one of the lines my favorite line is imbeciles worship cretins <laughs> does this make does this film make you want to see the previous in yes. the series yes it does yeah, it it did. I was like, Do you think in 2003 you actually saw the Oscar-winning movie he made? I don't know because I had a I had a, a newspaper job that was like 70 hours a week. So probably so not. Probably not. That was I didn't start. I mean, it was yeah, 18 really, years ago. Yeah, no, I I I didn't start uh, re uh, I didn't start uh, uh, doing movie reviews again because I had done them early in the you know 80s and 90s. I didn't start again until 2005. Okay. So, so I don't think so, but it was very revered. And I think if you're just looking for something that intrigues you, that you don't or know if you anything about. you want to practice your French. Yeah. And the name of the movie again is? is? The Fall of the American Empire. Now showing at a landmark theater near you. Yes, I'm it's guessing. Plaza Frontenac. And the other one that we have this week that we're not going to review till next week is called Being Frank. And it is Jim Gaffigan as his dad. Mm-hmm. He's very conservative that the, uh, it's the height of the grunge. It's 1992. It's mm. set in, and his his uh, son is just enamored with this grunge, and he wants to you know do all this music band and everything. But the dad is so conservative. He says no. Well, the kid rebels because you know how all teenage kids rebel, right? And uh, he goes off, sneak into this. Um, 
summer concert and the dad is Jim Gavkin and he finds out that the dad has a separate family. Hmm. Like he has this totally different life. I know somebody that had that too. <laughs> I think we all do. I, I actually do know that after a, a guy died, his family found out he had a second one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the uh, famous TV newsman Charles Corral. Yes. Yes. That was it. So this is that premise mm-hmm. where as the kid now thinks he's got something to hold over on the dad uh-huh. and everything. But because my password didn't work, didn't I couldn't it. watch it. But then we'll they talk said, about that next week with yeah, Spidey. Yeah. So and that midsummer. So, Midsummer's so yes, not yeah. very good. So Spidey is opening on Tuesday, Tuesday. but um, I do agree that if you did not see Avengers Endgame, Endgame. you will not understand Spider-Man. And also it gives away the big uh, uh, reveal. So if you didn't see it, it's ruined for you. (laughs) But speaking of uh, Avengers Endgame, it's back in theaters this weekend. And why is is that, Carl? Because it wants to get the $4 million it needs. I'm sorry. $44 $44 million it needs to overtake Avatar as the number one film of all time. Did this next uh, showing this weekend, did they tweak it? They, did they added, do some, What did they do something? They added to? six minutes. Two minutes is a deleted scene about the Hulk, and the other four minutes are tributes. And that's all they've said. So I don't okay. know if it's a tribute to Stan, if it's a tribute to fallen characters, or if it's just tributes. I don't know what that means. And they have, uh, they're promising a sneak peek of the Spider-Man movie because it doesn't come out till Tuesday, even though we saw it. I already saw it. All right. So also besides that, there is one major movie that was released on the DVDs this week and it's not very good. So don't see Dumbo. That I know all these people think, oh, we'll watch it. I go, no, you don't want to waste your two hours. Dumbo is not the star of his own movie. I thought Dumbo was very disappointing. But um, would you see it on DVD? No, I saw it in, no, no. in the would theater. Would you see it on DVD again? If someone uh, asked you, would you say, should I see this? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is when you're flipping through HBO, the various uh, <clears throat> HBOs and Showtimes and Cinemax Stars, channels, right. sometimes you hit on something and it's like, oh, I remember this coming out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you might, in, I mean, there are a couple of things in there that you might enjoy. Um, Michael Keaton's over-the-top performance. <laughs> Danny, Danny DeVito, uh, the, same. The effect of the of the elephant. I mean, they did a pretty good job on the effects, but... It's you know, lower, the, lower Tim Burton. Lower tier oh, Tim oh, Burton. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the, the weird thing, the weird ending. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, it was... Um, and the weird, the weird thing about Colin Farrell losing an arm and not being able to relate to his children. Right. That's I was going to bring that up because, like, oh, by the way, I lost an arm in the war. And <laughs> I, 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 I thought the, I guess, I guess you call it the art direction, just sort of the look of the thing, you know, set a hundred years ago. It kind of it looked interesting. So Alan Arkin's yeah, good. You know, I mean, I, I'm the kind of person unless something's really absolutely horrible like this uh, Bill Murray zombie movie, which I detested. Zombieland? The Dead Must Die. Oh, yeah. Or the Dead Don't Die. The, yeah. The, uh, the, I mean, the that's Jim, an absolute waste Jim of time. The Jim Jarmusch movie. But, yeah, but the, um, 
But Dumbo, you know, it might hold a little bit of appeal. And also, I'm sure there are a lot of people who didn't see it who maybe just are kind of curious. Want to see their kids. They're kind of curious because they, you know, maybe they remember the old one from uh, the Disney cartoon. Which is about a perfect movie as you can get. 65 minutes. But if you have very low expectations for Dumbo, you might like it. Yeah. Anything? Uh, something else comes out on DVD this week. Uh, the Poison Rose, which none of us saw. No. Brendan Fraser, John Travolta, Famke Jansen. Oh my goodness! Well, there's this movie <laughs> called The Aftermath that is uh, unrated R. It's drama, romance, and war, and it's Kira Knightley, who we generally like to see in movies. But this and Jason Clark. The name of that again I, is The Aftermath. I never heard of it. I cannot even. This came out in March. I don't know what was going on that I have no rem I I rem I don't remember anything about this movie. So it's post World War II, a British colonel and his wife are assigned to live in Hamburg during the post war reconstruction. No. But tensions arise arise. No, we didn't see it. So we did not see that. And then there's the Hummingbird Project, which I hear is very good. I didn't see that. Either. And I do believe that is Jesse Eisenberg. So I'm looking this up because, again, it was one of those that, uh, oh, yeah, Alexander Skarsgård, who I will watch in anything. Uh, Which one is that? Uh, the Hummingbird Project. It is a thriller. A pair of high-frequency traders go up against their old boss in an effort to make millions in a fiber optic cable deal. I remember reading about that, and there was an article either in the Times or the Wall Street Journal where they interviewed some uh, Wall Street traders, and they said, what do you think of this? And they said, well, it's nothing that could ever actually happen in real life, but we would really like to see this movie. And it came and went like in a week or two mm-hmm. and, and made uh, zero, zero impact, but it's available now on uh, streaming? or Yeah, it's uh, it's now in the red box, and, oh, oh, okay. uh, and then it's probably on, you know, like DirecTV and all yeah. that. So it's Jesse Netflix, Eisenberg, right. Alexander Skarsgård, Salma Hayek. Mm. And uh, don't know, recognize any of the other names. So that's pretty much what you got in the red box this week when you're standing there going, what should I get? Or you can go to the Muni for three hours and see the non-Hamilton. I want to say that <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda went to go see 1776 and said, how can I make this fun? And he did with Hamilton because George Washington is not in this. He's mentioned a lot. And Alexander Hamilton is not in this, but not mentioned at all. And so they took two characters that were not in 1776 and made them the stars of Hamilton. And But they did – John Adams and Thomas Jefferson are in Hamilton, but they're the main stars of 1776. A three-hour play where – Oh, I'm sorry, a three-hour musical where there aren't that many songs. Uh, I will say uh, when this won the Tony in 1969, it beat out Hair. It beat out uh, Promises, Promises, and other things. This was at at the height of the 60s turmoil, mm-hmm. and this ex-history teacher and Peter Stone, the book writer, they came up with this musical, and they researched it very thoroughly, and they put it on. And my English class, our history class probably, saw it at the at the American because that was mm. pre Fox Ninth Street. And uh, they uh, we saw it on the first national tour, and 
this was the first time that people had tried to humanize the founding fathers and basically it it's the continental very no no it's the continental likeable. congress and it is warts and all how the sausage is made how they came up with the with the declaration of independence the trouble with seeing it 50 years in a post hamilton world is hamilton is good well <laughs> hamilton is and you know, I see a lot of theater. Best thing I've ever seen. It's the most electric. It's the most stunning work of art that Even I. Even if you don't like hip hop, you can still appreciate. Oh my goodness gracious! It just grabs you, because you know the hype was so much by the time it got to St. Louis. Because I was not going to pay four hundred dollars a seat when I visit my son in New York, and right. and uh, nothing is worth. <laughs> nothing is worth. Well, we went. We were know. there for Thanksgiving. And we went to the. Uh, we went to the free ticket line every day, and we did not get them. Yeah, and you can get the lottery. I've tried the lottery before and stuff too. But when but there are so many people, it's it's literally like playing the real lottery. There right. are that many people <laughs> in line to get tickets. Right. Well, uh, so uh, when it came to the Fox a year ago, April fourth, we had press uh, tickets. We had thank God we had press tickets, and so but we were not on opening night. No, but it was the second night. But I will say, everybody was like, "Does it live up to the hype? Does it live up to the hype?" Yes, and more because after that first number, my friend and I looked at each other, and we just made this like the Home Alone guy, like, "Oh my God, it was so good!" It's we're so really good. here. It's, we're really seeing this. I know it's so electric. I had this thing where I was so so worried about jinx, you know, like mm-hmm. like this isn't going to be real, this isn't going to happen. That I like didn't even like want to think about it or or talk to anybody. Like I'm going to see Hamilton. I just was like, just get me in the door because you know, remember how long it took well, to get in? I had no because I went on opening night because the free press tickets were the same night as the, a hockey game, oh. so I could not go. But I I. Got to go. I paid for tickets and went to Hamilton on opening night here at the Fox. And it's very unfortunate that 1776 has to live up to the hype of Hamilton. And it's not going to. It's not. But I will say, after the very long first act where... It's two hours. The people... One hour and 40 minutes. The people next to me said... I'm not coming Because they knew I was reviewing. They go, what do you think? And I go... I think it's a little under-rehearsed because uh, they did have those bad storms. There you is know. a half hour with no music. It's all talking and in it, a musical. And it is really hard because, I mean, the cast is good. I will say it's a mix of of uh, theater veterans and local people. And the people they have put in, if you saw Jersey Boys at the at the Muni last year. The guy who plays Bob Gaudio is Edward Rutledge, who has, to me, there are two standout moments in the show. It's Edward uh, Rutledge, Molasses his, to Rum. His racist song. Yeah. And then uh, the the kid who plays, oh, oh, and then Thomas Jefferson is Keith Hines, who played Nick Massey. And he's got that weird voice that he used for Nick Massey, but it doesn't really work for Thomas Jefferson. However... Uh, it, so, you know, I mean, it is what it is because people were asking me at intermission and I don't know why, because I am not a history expert. But, it's very, but you can tell it was written in 1968, 1969, yeah. because they are very anti-slavery in this. Yes. We, we saw 1776 
at a dinner theater in Jacksonville, Florida in the 1980s. That would make it more palatable. And I, I have to say, I don't recall it being as tedious as, as you described well, you it. were eating during it. Car- I don't remember my previous ones as it being this tedious, but I well, think in the post-Hamilton world, it just there were t- There were times when you're doing early morning radio and mm-hmm. you're going to a show on, on Friday night, sometimes, and I've done this at the, the Rep here in St. Louis and even at the Symphony, where you just kind of like tend you to nod off. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't recall nodding off during that particular show in Jacksonville. And I rec- my recollection was being uh, somewhat entertained. My, my recollection of 1776 is all the guys from St. Elsewhere were in the movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> all the, and, and, and that's and, how they yeah. were famous. And the movie was 1972, and it was John, uh, it was John Daniel. Um, William Daniel. William Daniels. And then it was Ken Howard. As as Thomas Jefferson, there's only two women in it, and that Abigail Adams and Martha Jefferson and Blythe Danner played Martha Jefferson and Ken Howard and, and Blythe Danner. But what we know about now is that really that Martha Jefferson probably that probably wasn't happening with Martha Jefferson because he was with Sally Hemings. <laughs> yeah, there's some because now that we know revisionist history, it's a no, little <laughs> not revisionist history. Actual history. Actually, yeah, you're right. You're right. What the the bad thing about this is, it's written in traditional music theater, and now that we've had the the uh, Spring Awakening or In the Heights or Rent or <laughs> Modern Theater or the Andrew Lloyd Webber type of theater, it's very creaky. Go ahead. I, I will mention that when you walk in the front door of the M- Missouri History Museum in Forest Park. Mm-hmm you will be greeted by the statue of a former slave owner and a white supremacist, Thomas Jefferson. Yes. Now, I have a friend that I visited back in the spring in Mobile, Alabama, and he said, yes, Thomas Jefferson was a walking contradiction. Yes. Oh, uh, that he, they say you know, that he, the... he went in so many different ways. Okay, that's my No, but they say, that, they say that in the film. It makes you th- it also lets you know that Pennsylvania was not necessarily wanting to uh, – become free they mm-hmm. wanted to stay back with the crown and you thought it was only the south and then then it makes you have a very uh critical look at south carolina then and now yes the south doesn't come off very well in this and neither does dickinson but he didn't even sign the con- and the, he said that he's like yeah, I, yeah. I if I, I can't before this i agree what you guys are doing but then he went and joined the army so yeah, he but, did that. Hey, listen, things change, right? Barack Obama opposed gay marriage, mm-hmm. and now uh, he's for it. <laughs> and and now look at you know it's it's everywhere. So uh, things change and things change rapidly. And gosh, you know, from the time the Constitution was ratified and mm-hmm. initially until the Civil War. And it it did take them less than 100 years to finally get rid of slavery, which they all said, we want to do this, we want to do this. You think that it would have been quicker and a lot less Jim Crow and a lot, but they, they had, they said they had a plan. We're going to do this, but we're still going to try to get rid of it. And within a hundred years, they, they tried. I'm not making excuses for them. I, I would think that this would make some people angry. Yeah. I think that this is in, in the modern world and that because we know actual history now it is, uh, you know, they do it straightforward. They do it. They don't don't, sugarcoat it. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't change anything. Hmm. Uh, So they were actually pretty 
progressive thinking in 1968-69 when they wrote this. Right, they were. And they, they did show that the, the slavery was all based on economics and uh, the way of thinking because these these congressmen were businessmen, were farmers. They were landowners. And, and landowners. and They were and, all rich guys. Yeah, so they were like southern aristocrats. Except for the preachers. Yeah, that's right. And, and we have to we have, have God, God in the Constitution or yeah, in the Declaration of Independence. What is, what is nice about it is it does show how it was, you know, in history books, it makes history come alive in terms of like all the turmoil and the doubts and the messiness. But it's old school theater. What is uh, next on the agenda at the Muni? Cinderella, oh. which is the update of the. It's Rogers the, it's and like Hammerstein. So the the if you saw the Julie Andrews one or the Leslie and Warren one in the sixties, um, it is that story. It's not Disney. It was never on Broadway till two thousand thirteen, hmm. and they did uh, so. That's when Rogers and Hammerstein uh, Cinderella came there with those songs, but they have a modern book. The Prince Charming is named Topher, <laughs> and Cinderella's little. Feisty, so they have more female empowerment, uh, you know, signature. But I don't need no man. But so it's a different Cinderella, and uh, you know, it's it, but it's still Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah, Cinderella. it's not bibbity bobbity boo. So I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. It's I'm just saying. Uh, the Muni has a very good relationship with Disney. So. Yeah, and it's their children's. <laughs> it's their children's uh, show. So cast of thousands. But I will say... So wait a minute, how are they going to have cast of thousands for Cinderella? They have all those Muni kids and Muni teens. Doing what in Cinderella? Unless they're the rats and yeah, mice. they might be. Well, they got the big ball scene, you yeah, know. Yeah, but that's, they, not, that's not Muni teens yeah. and Muni kids. I don't know. They'll, who knows? You never you know about the Muni. You think that Matilda would be the Muni kids, Muni teens movie? Or musical? It's going to be the Mary Engelbrecht version. Because oh. she's doing the set and everything. Oh. Speaking of the production. Visitation Academy's own. Yeah. Mary Engelbright. Uh, the uh, production values of 1776, excellent in terms of, they had some heavy hitters with the with the set and the, uh, the costumes and that Broadway dudes who have been Tony nominated. Rob Ruggiero, he directed it, and he's directed a lot of dark things over the years. And uh, he... I did think second act redeemed the whole thing. Because the second act's only 45 minutes. But it's also more powerful and hard-hitting, and it makes you realize this great experiment that democracy, it is a fragile thing, and it's... And compromise. And it was a compromise, and it's, like you said... We have our laws that keep changing America. It is the Constitution is a living, breathing document subject to change. Yes, and so that's one good thing. And it is, you know, it's this time of year where Independence Day. I think last year one of the most effective commercials I've ever seen was at Ancestry.com where they had the uh, living relatives of people who signed the Declaration of Independence, including Thomas Jefferson's black... Daughter? Or great-great-granddaughter? Yeah, our niece. Yeah, including, uh, you know, this play has, it's all white people. You and know. two women. And two women who give, uh, I will say Jenny Powers and Allie Ewell give this a nice shot of uh, estrogen because it's necessary. 
there are, you know, when it was done in 69, to think of these founding fathers as actually having a, a, a regular life, mm-hmm. that was new. You know, we're yeah, now it's, it's not, very hippie. Yeah, it's not so much new now. No. And, and they make jokes about their virility, which. Yeah, they're dick jokes in the 1776. <laughs> which, which, you know, gets the crowd. And they're all holding a quill. That, so that makes the uh, old rich people laugh and clap. But I do, <laughs> I do think um, what happened with this muni schedule is because Guys and Dolls was, you know, really. Old school. Old school. But then Kinky Boots came and was really peppy New. and everybody loved it. The people in front of me were like, well, this isn't last week's show, is it? <laughs> <laughs> now, did the people like last week's show or do they like this week's show? They liked last week's Good. show. Good. Good. They're big they fans. Did. And then when I said, did you see Hamilton? And they go, oh, that was so great. So See, that's what, that's what 1776 has to worry about. Yeah. It's, just, it's different seeing it now. Mm-hmm. You know, because back in the day, I thought it was really a great show. And, and then, then uh, Boy From Oz is closing this weekend. Yeah. So uh, everything's so, closing up right before 4th of July. Right. Well, I wanted to say... If we're talking local theater, this weekend is the Grand Center Theater Crawl. It's free. It's sponsored by stlouispublicradio.org. So just go there. You can or just show up at uh, uh, Strauss Park. Uh, it's from 7 to 10 tonight, tomorrow 2 to 5, and 7 to 10. And over two dozen theater groups will give you a preview. It's like a tasting of theater, local theater. Nice. And it's all in the Grand Arts District. So Up by the Fox Theater. Yeah, so you'll be going to like Cransburg, Grandel. Well, Grandel's got their play um, Indecent, which is one of the best things of the year. Okay. If you see that, that's incredible. And uh, so like Urban League, um, the, the, the KDHX on stage, the Grand Arts Academy, their cafeteria, it's uh, that church that's across from the Fox, that Baptist yeah. church. It's, it's the Curtain Call Lounge. It's Urban Chestnut. It's mm. everywhere that a theater group can have a couple people doing a scene. The 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 offering is like fifteen minutes. It's in every half hour increments. Is it free? It's free. Whoa. It's totally free. Good. And you can get a, uh, an app to download. And then you also, uh, if you go to Strauss Park, like around six thirty, you can get your little brochure, and it'll tell you what each group is and what they're doing. And then you just kind of like I've got my itinerary mapped out for tonight. You know what you're gonna see. Yeah. So so anyway, it's really fun. And if you want to see what's going on in theater, because more than two dozen groups are doing this tonight, tonight and tomorrow. So that's wow. pretty cool. And uh, speaking of Muni kids and Muni teens, Michael Harp and Anna Gassett were the two people selected in the National High School Music Theater Awards that was at the Fox, presented by the Performing Arts Charity um, Charitable Foundation. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they were selected from all the high school kids that do musicals this year that were judged to go to the Jimmy Awards in New York, which were Monday night, and it's 86 kids from across the U.S., they do their number from their show. Like uh, like Michael Harp, who's from Swansea, Illinois, and goes to Altoff, and Anna Gassett, who goes to Coriezu Academy. They were both in Coriezu's musical 42nd Street. So they did a number? So Did they do their number together? No. Oh. So, uh, except, I mean, to the judges, they did their numbers. 
but for this live streaming, they used to have it on PBS, so I don't know why they don't, but but it was live streamed Facebook and YouTube, and it's these 86 kids showing their stuff to America, and it's this panel of judges like a Stephen Schwartz, who did Wicked. And wow. In fact, they did a number from Wicked, the 15th anniversary of Wicked, and they sang all these things. So besides anointing two kids as the winners, they get like $25,000 and a scholarship to NYU if they choose. And all this stuff. Uh, they get those, but they also have other they, they have also other awards and other scholarships. And Anna Gassett from Koryezu won the Best Dancer Award and $2,000. So that was pretty good. good the girl from St. Louis. So the kids, they pick eight finalists in the Act Two, and they performed four boys, four girls. The winners were incredible. The girl from New York City, she sang a song from Color Purple. She was like Tony Award winning ready. It was incredible. So they could, put her, a, they could put her on right now? Yeah. Uh, she got a standing ovation. She was the only one of the, the eight finalists that get a standing ovation. And you knew right away that she, that, that she was, you know, it was like obvious. But what's interesting. But she's about, from New York. What's interesting. So she was going to go to NYU anyway. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about these Jimmy Awards is the two kids that won last year are on Broadway right now in shows. They didn't even go to college. The one is Evan Hansen and Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, wow. And the girl just replaced Taylor Lauderman as mean Regina girls. in Mean Girls. Taylor Lauderman's of Bourbon, Missouri. St. Louis's own. Well. Yeah, St. Louis's own. Missouri's own. And, yes. and she was a muni teen, and she was just in Kinky Boots last week. And so she's going to be in Footloose? No, no, she's not going to be in Footloose. She's going to go back to Mean Girls. Right, but it's weird because... She, she said she's going her. back till September 8th, but on the Jimmy Awards, they were like, Renee Rapp, who's starring as Regina in Mean Girls. Maybe and she I'm was like, filling in the week that, <laughs> that Taylor was here. Yeah. So these Jimmy Awards are a huge deal, and two of our St. Louis kids did us proud. And one, I mean, of, one of them won. Yeah. So it was really cool. So anyway, and they can be seen. I think both of them were in Footloose, as a matter of fact. And uh, so we have another local connection with theater, The Prom. Yes. Which is closing uh, August 11th. We have local producers and we have the local lyricist, Tony-nominated Chad Beglin from Centralia, Illinois. They're going to make a movie. They're making a movie. They announced the cast this week. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Andrew Rannells. And Zendaya. James Corden. James Corden. Aquafina. Uh, they said they no. They announced Ariana Grande, That's but it. they said she's she's out. she's out because her tour is going to be extended. And who else? Oh, Nicole Kidman. Are they going to do a road show of that before the movie, or? I would think. Oh, they're going to go on the the prom is going to go on tour. Okay, but I don't think they're going on tour till twenty 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 one. The movie is by Ryan Murphy, who yes. is touches American gold. Horror Story. Everything uh, he does, Glee, Glee uh, the O.J. Simpson. Yep. Uh, American Crime Story. He's making the movie for Netflix. He got this huge deal, and he uh, they're going to have it in theaters next fall. Wow. Twenty twenty for consideration, 
And so they start filming this December. So it's going to be a big deal. But yeah, people around here, I am sure with these local producers that the prom will be at the Muni or stages. Well, it'll be at the Fox first. It'll be at the Fox, yes. And then it'll eventually, you know. Yeah, but that's the that's the theater report. So Carl, you don't recommend going to seventeen. Oh, I'm sorry. It was I, I I enjoyed the experience of going to the Muni and I always do, but it is a lot. It is a three hour show in St. Louis summer. It was very sticky last night. They should have done it I know they wanted to do it around July fourth. They should have done it earlier. But I will say my three takeaways from it were Alex Pracken. Another local St. Louis boy, he uh, went to Burroughs, and he uh, was in the national tour of Newsies. He should have been Jack Kelly, but he was only the understudy. Anyway, he was in, and you probably saw this because people talk about this at the Muni. It was the Les Mis, I think it was 2013. It was... uh, this incredible lame is at the Muni. In fact, when the they sets did, were great. When they did one, it was Norm Lewis as Javert. When they did one day more, I have never seen this. I've been going to the Muni since I was in fifth grade. People leapt out of their seats before intermission started. They did one day more, and people just jumped up. So, Alex Pracken, who was uh, Marius in in the one and. And then the kid who plays Rutledge, he was Angelus or Angelus. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, I was talking to him afterwards last night, and he said that was one of the greatest moments of his stage life when when the whole Muni audience just went crazy and stood up, and they were on that. They were doing the turn, and they were just held their pose. That mm-hmm. was just genius. But anyway, they're in this, and Al and Alex and Bobby. Conti Thornton, they have the two best numbers. Alex has the courier number at that ends act one, Mama Look Sharp, no, which they I did, did on the Tonys like in 1969. Oh, I didn't And not. then, and it's then. It's such a but, bummer to end act one. I know. You sat through all of that for an hour and 40 minutes, and it ends with a Mama, I'm Gonna Die song. <laughs> but it is moving and touching, and he has got a beautiful voice. He does have voice. a beautiful voice. It's just unfortunate the placement in the show. So it was good to see him back at the Muni. And then Bobby Conti Thornton is Edward Rutledge, and he's like, oh, you northern boys, I think we smell hypocrisy Mm -hmm. because the southern guys are all upset. And he does molasses to rum, and he kills it. So those are good. And I thought Ben Davis, departure from his usual hero roles as Sky Masterson and Emile DeBeck and... uh, a curly in Oklahoma and everything else he does at the Muni. He was the villain. He was Dickinson. Yeesh. Well, they're they're founding fathers. They're not villains, Lynn. I know, but he was the one who was pro King George, right? And he didn't want tyrants in the Declaration. Do we have to call him a tyrant? Yes, he was a tyrant. Yes, we have to do it. I do like that they called him Fat George, which was kind of funny. So next week we have uh, Spider Man Far From Home. See Endgame first if you're going to see it. And then we have Midsummer, which is two and a half hours. Yeah, or you can be watching a couple things at home. Uh, David saw Chernobyl on HBO, and I haven't gotten to that yet. Have you? I have not, but I, I watched all of Good Omens. 
I would uh, I would recommend it. I think it's probably one that's very when, difficult to watch, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's a little grim. Um, but I thought they did a very good job of presenting what happened at Chernobyl back in 1986, I think it was, um, in Ukraine, and and the way it's presented from a lot of different points of view. From the the Russians say none of those are true. I'm sorry. The Russians say that none of those are true. Well, <laughs> interesting. You know, it's it's the former Soviet Union right. that really gets the bad press here because they're presented as just uh, arrogant arrogant jerks who mm-hmm. don't want to share information and they think they're uh, no one knew about Chernobyl for a long time because yeah, they were well, trying to but, keep it but, under wraps but they think they're almost infallible and uh, they just have this incredible arrogance and when the word kind of gets out about what really happened um, you know they're, I think uh, Gorbachev at one point actually said that that was one of the things that led to the destruction of the the USSR. Russia, which is, you know, what's that's part of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're a little upset about the way the story is told because it does reflect badly on the Russians. I mean, <laughs> yes. most of the USSR uh, citizens were Russian. I mean, you got all the other... Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, Uzbekistan, whatever the heck. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's it's very well done. It's on HBO, and yes. if you have HBO, it's on is demand. It, it's it, five hours, yeah. five episodes. That I guess the first one uh, was presented in early May, the last one in early June, and they run a little over an hour. And yeah, it's a little grim, but it's uh, it's an interesting story, and there's a lot there that I didn't know, and I presume that this is a pretty accurate retelling. And it is going to win a lot of Emmy Awards. It is going to win a lot of, yeah, you're correct Yeah, that's that. what I figure, and doesn't it have a good cast? Who, uh, yeah, it's um, it's one of the... Jared is it, is Harris? It, is it, is it, yeah, he's he's the, the, the main kind of central character. And Is uh, Stellan Skarsgård in it? Yes, okay. yes. And then also uh, the loudest voice comes on Showtime, I believe, this weekend or next Sunday. Weekend? Sunday, okay. And that's the Rogers Ale story. It's the based on the book, The Loudest Voice in the Room. And he's playing, uh, Russell Crowe is playing Roger Ailes. Now, isn't there also another movie that's being that's being done as a theatrical thing? Yes. And that's from the point of view of Gretchen Carlson? That, that's her book. That's the one with Re- Gretchen Kidman? Carlson was legally not allowed to say anything to these people. Okay. About the loudest voice because she has an NDA. But she is played by Naomi Watts. And that once the movie came, once the it's a it's a miniseries. Uh, once the first episode came out, she could comment on Naomi Watts' performance, but that's all she's allowed to well, say. Well, I'll be sure to watch Fox and Friends Monday morning and get their review and see of what course. see what they all have to say. Well, about. I don't think they're allowed to talk about Roger Ailes. Uh, they're pro- no, they're they're probably not. And what. You know, what what a character he was. I finally read, uh, within the last year, The Selling of the President, 1968, by uh, Joe McGinnis. Well, he was part and of that. And Roger Ailes was uh, Nixon. one of the key guys for getting uh, Dick Nixon elected president in 68. Now, I've mm-hmm. read a lot of other stuff about everything Nixon about did. About how much Ailes actually had to do with it? Well, there was... 
they controlled so many of, of Nixon's TV appearances, and there was very little that was left to chance. There was a little bit left to chance, but he set it up so that Nixon came across on these TV appearances all around the country in local markets. and Rather than national. And Yeah, and uh, you, know, you would get some local folks to come in and ask questions, and they did all this screening. Occasionally, you know, things got through where somebody would ask something that they weren't supposed to ask. But for the most part, uh, Nixon represented himself well in all these major markets. And it television, national. television, which had been his undoing in the 1960 election with the debates versus John Kennedy, uh, television was the key for his getting elected it's because in because he went local rather than national. Well, that, and I mean, it was a close call, you know, with uh, Governor Wallace being sort of the, the mm-hmm. wild card in right. there. And, and while he took votes from both sides, it still kind of, it, it, you know, it, it messed things up kind of like uh, Ross Perot in 92. Right. Russell Crowe is transformed into Roger's, uh, Roger Ailes really well looks. It Put looks, on weight. And- yeah, he had a fat suit and it, but, but Russell's gained some weight over the years. I still really like him. I think HBO, HBO just played Mystery Alaska. Again, and it was so fun to watch, especially... But not to be confused, this is on Showtime. I know, yes, I know, you're right. It's it's a miniseries. But some of the people, because I, I checked this out, some of the people that are involved in Mystery Alaska are going to be in The Loudest Voice. So I wonder if they just do, like, you know, uh, Russell Crowe goes, you know, I'd like these... I'd like these people in the movie. Yeah, because that was so funny, because that's 20 years ago, Mr. Alaska, 1999. So that's me. Uh, David, speak- do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? No, I'll just mention that I, I do have a movie blog. Mm-hmm. It's uh, davidcraigmovies.com, and it's mainly, well, it's just reviews. I haven't gotten into uh, doing a lot of gossipy stuff. I have a couple of other things, but with uh, some family stuff over the last couple of years, I really haven't done much with my PR blog, nor with my food talk blog, but I do have a Twitter account for my food talk it's just uh, it's a very good it's Twitter at account. Food Talk STL on Twitter, and uh, I, I I actually deleted my personal Twitter account Why? last year. I basically it was a, a, too much of a time suck, and um, and I just I don't know I I do I do Facebook, but I didn't I just gave up my personal Twitter account. But I did see a hilarious thing on Twitter. It was a. Uh, it was uh, a, a feed. A guy started posting pictures of people from the first Democratic debate and putting them with characters from Airplane. The one, <laughs> the one congressman, the one congressman on the right end, uh, Jay Inslee. No, was his name Delaney? I think. Yes. And he looked just like the the guy in the uh, control tower. Who's, the assistant who's running around just acting silly and. Uh, the effeminate gentleman. Yeah, yeah, that that guy. Anyway, they and then they, the the thing just goes on and on. The thread goes on for hundreds for, of things. Nice. It was hilarious. How, oh, I how far did you guys that. get as Beyonce's assistant? By the way, you guys didn't even do that one. I made it to. Th- I got to. I made three decisions and then I was fired. <laughs> There's a Twitter thing. I'll explain off the air. Everybody else knows what I'm talking about. It's a Twitter thing where you have to make decisions whether Beyonce will fire you as her assistant or not. Oh, she the was first, just... Oh, okay. The, the first one is, 
should she have a five star breakfast or she should sure should she have granola and strawberries? What do you oh, think? Granola and strawberries. That is the correct answer. If you choose five star breakfast, you're fired. Oh wow! Well, I just saw that her mother had uh, uh, praised her for going with her natural hair in a new photo. Good. I don't know. I was busy this week, car shop with car. So I, I'm not at one with the the uh, the Twitter verse. You were on the radio last night. Yes, I was. While I was at 1776. Oh my How gosh! How did I do that? I don't know. Yeah, it's magic, magic. So I missed actually hearing myself. But okay, so next week because it's the holiday, we're gonna have Spider Man Midsummer, which is going to be such a lively discussion, <sighs> and then. I personally like Forrest Gump, and the new Blu-ray 25th anniversary comes out July 6th, so we'll talk about that, and CNN has a new series called The Movies. Hosted by Tom Hanks? Yeah, it's one of those I've loved. I don't know if you guys watch those, but the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the, the 90s. History the history of comedy. And the history of comedy. They're great. They're great, and it's by Tom Hanks's Playtone mm-hmm. uh, division. And uh, CNN has been promoting this by having their anchors, their famous uh, faces. In, like Wolf Blitzer or Chris Cromo. If in movie, uh, iconic movie shots, like they had Don Lemon walking down the street to Staying Alive. They had Wolf Holding Blitz- paint cans? Yeah. They had uh, Wolf Blitzer doing the FAO Schwartz giant From big. piano. From Big, and it's been interesting. What was I watching? Oh, the Apollo Eleven documentary was on, mm, which you I was, saw, already. which I saw already, but I watched it again. And I, I'm uh, sure they'll show that on Saturday the twentieth as well. Oh, I'm sure. And and the July sixteenth is when they took off. So. Do you know why Tom Hanks won the Best Acting Oscar as Forrest Gump? No, why? It's because he did not go full. Oh. <laughs> like Sean Penn did and I am Sam. Wow. Um, at least that's according to comes, Robert Downey Jr. It and Trump all comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, I am not. I am not uh, a smart man, Jenny. So you don't no. know. You do not know what afflictions Mr. Gump has. No, because we say. didn't read the book because the book apparently is way different. Than and they the movie. make him a lot dumber. But I will say that movie gets to me every time. You can, you can. Every I know everybody was mad because Pulp Fiction didn't win the Oscar, and then Tom Hanks. Pulp Fiction is a better movie than Forrest and, Gump. Uh, well, you know, in retrospect, but I enjoy Forrest Gump for what it is. And every time I watch it's it, it's safe for old people. It is safe for old people. And every time I watch Except it, I for tear the up. AIDS thing, and Jenny's a whore. My son Tim and I watched it one night, and he was crying. And he and his friend Kyle, they have a special thing about Forrest Gump. They they always would call each other and go, hey, Forrest Gump's on, blah, blah, blah. And it's just one of those movies that it might be a touchstone to your life. And I don't fault anybody for that. It's Zelig. Yeah. They, they, Zelig already happened. And you have a lot of references. And I know, like, Tim's favorite movie of all time was Pulp Fiction. So so I know that. But you can still like both of them. You can. Oh, saying. Forrest Gump is uh, a very entertaining movie. And an amazing soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack! I do, I do own that, and uh, I will say that cast look: Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Michael T. Williamson, yeah, Richard Nixon. 
the yeah. Chinese government. But there's so many references to that movie that you say later on, like, oh, he was like Forrest Gump because he happened to be in the right place. Run, right Forrest, run. <laughs> you know, oh, Sally Field. I just, nah. that's the only thing I don't think worked was her. What, him as the, her as the mom? Uh, yeah, I don't know. You needed somebody that young to go through the, all the years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because well, then he played, the, in Punchline, they were dating. And who was the young Forrest? Being a native of Alabama, I've often been critical of uh, peoples who are not from Alabama doing Southern accents. And those weren't my favorite. I, at, at this point in my life, though, I'm very uh, forgiving. And, you know, hey, they're doing the best they can. I do know that uh, a friend of mine in Los Angeles, her, her husband, always thought that John Goodman, who is from St. Louis, did great New Orleans accents in his roles in uh, Princess and the Frog. He is in Princess and the Frog. Okay. He did that Treme yeah. or Treme. The movie with, uh, I can't rec- recall the name of it, but. Right. Well, I know he, he's the. Back he, in the 80s. He, the babe. <laughs> set in New Orleans. No, he was he was in Princess and the Frog. Also set in okay. New Orleans. He was okay. big. He was Big Daddy, which was the uh, he was the uh, head of the Mardi Gras parade. He's Good. been in so many movies and stuff. But I will say that is one of King those Ralph. Touch, yes, that is one of those touch tone films that we will talk about next week because it is. They did have it in theaters over the weekend. Oh, didn't they know did that. a Fathom event. Oh, I like that. I, I got an email. Uh, I guess Fathom is going to do Easy Rider in theaters on July 14th and it 17th for what that's worth. the 50th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. Yeah. So plug your stuff, Lynn. All right. Well, I am on KTRS every Thursday evening by magic sometimes. And then uh, I am in the Times newspapers, which is Webster Kirkwood Times, South County Times, and uh, West End Word. And that is timesnewspapers.com. And I'm in all the socials. My name is Carl Middleman. You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. Because like Facebook and 23andMe and Ancestry.com, they're collecting all your data. I know. And um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. You can also hear me on FM News Talk 97.1 periodically, usually on Sunday nights. And Saturday evenings on KTRS, the Big 550, with at Max on Movies, where he and I are going to discuss. We were going to discuss a lot of things, but it seems we're going to have an hour-long discussion about Toy Story 4, which he loves, by the way. Good. I'm glad. Did you like it? I really enjoyed Toy it. Story Four. Toy Story. David, which one? Toy, Toy Story, Story 4. Four. God, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was spectacular. I thought it was. Uh, we were all forky. I, I I loved it. I mean, there were just so many things to like about it. Yeah. It was. It was, and I I would see it again. Well, let's say goodbye to our guest. Thank you, David, for coming in. Yes, thank you. Thanks it's for good the invite. You. Good to see you all. Yeah, thanks for uh, for uh, coming in. And uh, Dan will be with us at some point, but he's Mister Mom during the summer. Yep. So that's the way it is. But we really appreciate you, Carl, and I will be back next week. Someday. We don't know what day. It's a <laughs> stupid holiday. I mean, we love a holiday. Happy birthday, America. <laughs>